I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to First Formation, a spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 80, verses 7 through 15. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become plunder? The lions have roared against him. They have roared loudly. They have made his land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant. However, the people of Memphis and Taphanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God while he led you in the way? What then do you gain by going to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you and your apostasies will convict you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. For long ago you broke your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. On every high hill and under every high green tree you sprawled and played the whore. Yet I planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, says the Lord God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence.
morning, and welcome to the 18th Thursday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Iamsville, Maryland. Our readings come to us from Psalm 80, Jeremiah 2, and Colossians 2. Um, I did a, uh, a talk on Jeremiah some time ago, and I'm, I think it was Jeremiah. So what stood out to me this morning was uh, in Jeremiah, the, the uh Verse 20, for long ago you broke your yoke and burst your bonds. You said, I will not serve. And on every high heel you played the whore, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I believe it was Jeremiah who is told by God to go um, put on a an oxen's yoke and go before the, ki- the, the king of Israel and um, basically say, you know, I'm a Syria. We are going to be yoked to Assyria. Um, you know, you've don't. Uh, don't defend yourself against Assyria. They're coming and you'll be made there like their own um, oxen or beast of burden. And there's a false prophet. I want to say it was Hananiah. I think it was Hananiah who comes in <laughs> and he takes the wooden yoke and he breaks it somehow. I don't know. Maybe I had a chainsaw. I have no idea. And Jeremiah gets, you know, kind of crestfallen and the little street theater didn't work and God says, well, okay, go back. This time, wear an iron oxen and tell him that I'm not going to, you know, he's, God's really going to be pissed. And, uh, and he also tells Jeremiah to tell Hananiah, look, I know you're a false prophet and you're going to die in the next 60 days. And he does. Um, I think that's from Jeremiah. It might be Ezekiel, but I think it's Jeremiah. And that's what, I don't know, that's what caught my eye because he's, he's referring to something that's that's happened before and bringing in this um, this moment that would have been you know talked about in gossip because he went before the king's court and everybody would have you know there weren't reporters at the time but there was you know the the grapevine the, the gossip mill and he was probably embarrassed and so Jeremiah um, it doesn't doesn't say that this is God telling Jeremiah Jeremiah look these are these are the words I'm giving you for Israel. It may very well be that Jeremiah is just saying it, um, in which case uh, I think it's, I don't know, it's just interesting. And in that section, it's, it's really about Hananiah um, because God sent Jeremiah to do this thing. And then this douchebag, false prophet, comes by and messes up the street theater and wins a couple of brownie points. Um, but then he gets this more severe punishment when Jeremiah comes back with an iron yoke and tells him, yeah, fuck you, buddy, you're going to die. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny. Um, I just have a dark sense of humor. But um, that brings us to the Colossians reading, which is about um, false teachers and false gods. Um, and I know a lot of people really like horoscopes and, you know, maybe Enneagrams and I don't know, all kinds of interesting stuff. And Paul, I won't, I won't disclose my own feelings about it, but Paul is really against this. And it may be because of his uh, background as this really devout Jew. There's a lot of really specific, you know, kind of things against superstitions. And so Paul says, you know, you died to these elemental spirits of the universe. Um, they no longer exist for you. Why do you live as though they do? Um, 
And when he talks about regulations, I don't know, like, well, he's talking about the food regulations and he's upset, um, especially when Jewish um, Christians, um, essentially early Christians who came through Judaism as opposed to like Roman society and stuff, um, he, he doesn't particularly want people to adhere to Jewish customs. Um, and that might be a Paul thing. And I, I, to me, this piggybacks on the false uh, prophet stuff because he insisted these, these regulations, which have formed a pretty strong basis for Jewish identity for you know, maybe a thousand years at that point. He calls them human commands and teachings, which is shocking um, given that they are clearly God-given. Um, but he takes this really hard line against some of these um, regulations, as he calls them, or customs and rituals. Um, and he says they only have an appearance of wisdom, uh, but in fact, they don't really check self-indulgence. And Paul is saying this because, like many um, Jews converted to, to Christianity, um, they believed or they saw uh, Christ's appearance as um, uh, essentially a judgment on Israel. And Jesus says this multiple times in his ministry, or words to that effect, that you know he wouldn't be here, or it wouldn't you know wouldn't be necessary for him to come if if um, Israel were were faithful to God. Um, and he likens Jewish customs, which he would have been steeped in and formed by. He, he likens them to nothing more than you know false teachings and. You know, it's no better than these Roman or Hellenistic rituals. They're just human commands. Um, and um, I think that's kind of a harsh line. I think, you know, kind of comparing or, you know, bringing Israel in line with Hananiah is harsh. Um, I mean, Jeremiah speaks of, you know, how um, Israel is being roared against like a lion, made, land, made God's land a waste, and uh, the cities are in ruins. Um, so, I mean, criticizing Israel is no, you know, there's nothing new. Um, but where Paul, I think, kind of ratchets it up a notch is where um, he, he, at least in, in Colossians and to a, a lesser extent elsewhere, he kind of digs at um, his own background and, and formation as, you know, merely human. Um, and takes kind of a hard line um, against others um, engaging in them under the, not pretext, but like he really believes that God has done something um, radically new, um, that he has broken down all the necessity for those things, um, assuming that the necessity was these things check self-indulgence. Um, he doesn't want people to fall into the trap of thinking that you can do this and earn God's favor. Clearly you can't because Israel tried for thousands of years and couldn't. And so he sees um, Judaism and its rituals, I think, as a, as a stumbling block. Um, that if, if you want to be um, in God's kingdom, don't get lost in this unless you've already you know, been there. And Paul's much gentler on people who are observant Jews, but also Christians, and therefore, um, clearly they've, you know, kind of come around. Um, 
And I think the same is often true with Christian soldiers and veterans, especially in the United States, where theology is dominated by kind of puritanical pacifism, where a very sharp line is drawn between soldier and civilian. Um, and if soldier is on the side of violence and domination and et cetera, et cetera, then clearly soldier, um, you know, full stop is there's something wrong with that. And so they need to change, they need to stop being soldiers. Um, and I think that's, that view was certainly shared by certain members of the early church, Tertullian and Origen were just kind of foaming at the mouth, decrying the military, even though they knew um, that Christians were there and that there were other arguments um, to support a more nuanced vision of um, of the church at that time in the first couple of centuries. Um, and uh, I think a lot of, I know a lot of soldiers, when they become veterans, they, they feel like Paul, like get rid of all this stuff, throw it out. It's a stumbling block. And it certainly can be. Uh, I was in the army and there's a lot of, you know, debauchery and um, revelry that uh, certainly goes into excess. Um, I don't agree that it's all inherently bad. I don't agree that the military is, itself is is the problem. And I don't know that that's what Paul really believes. In certain places, in his letters, he can be he can be pretty harsh uh, against Judaism. Um, I don't know that he really throws the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe some might argue that he does. Um, but that is definitely something I experience in talking with other veterans um, who want to think um, more deeply about what it means to serve or to have served in the military, but be a member of a church that largely views that in these polarizing caricatures. Um, and so it can be a stumbling block. And there's a lot of military tradition that have the appearance of wisdom of promoting humility and, and severe treatment of the body, and yet they, they fail to check self-indulgence. I mean, that could easily be said about the military. But I don't think that's license or, or permission to say that it's all bad. I don't know that Paul really would. He speaks very harshly about Judaism in places, but I don't think he'd ever say, you know, get rid of it. That's uh, later Christians would do that, like Marcion. Um, but I, I, I sense in that same instinct um, that Paul shows, I sense that in other soldiers and veterans who, um, you know, maybe had a, a moderate or a poor experience of the military and kind of swing the pendulum to pacifism and, and they feel much more shame and guilt about their military service than I think they should. Um, and so I, I encourage my listeners to be on guard against easy arguments that, that, you know, kind of don't get into the nitty gritty of what the shades of gray really are in our, in our lives and in our vocation. Prayer for those in the armed forces of our country from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, we commend to your gracious care and keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage to face the perils which beset them and grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.